The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us here at the Crude Life Week in Review, a recap of the week's best interviews from the crudelife.com. We also have a podcast, a Monday through Thursday podcast at the crudelife.com. But this program right here is the best of interviews packaged in a nice little program known as the Crude Life Week in Review. Who do we have on today's program but Tiffany Steiner? with API Dickinson talking about the 23rd annual API Gumbo Cookoff coming up right around the corner. Daniel Stenberg, he's with McKenzie County Job Development Authority. They're located right in the heart of the Bakken, in Watford City. Stenberg shares some information on some grants and loan programs for those people who are looking at building out in the Bakken oil field. Plus, Jody Smith, the North Dakota Land Commissioner, gives us an update, or I should say a revisit from a last month about the natural gas royalty payments. And now there's some activity that's happened, so we're getting an update to find out where we're at, what's next. Jody Smith coming up a little later in the program. Also, Josh Swanson with Vogel Law. You're going to want to get ready for this one, folks. The Wilkinson versus the Board of University and schools, lands involving the mineral rights in the payment with the Bakken and Lake Sakakawea. It's it's like a CSI murder mystery type of a thing, but you know, not a murder mystery, but it's that type of drama. It's a, that only attorneys can bring to the table. So that's why we like to bring Josh Swanson from Vogel Law. And he's always got such interesting cases that impact a lot of people. So not only is this filled with twists and turns and drama and all kinds of different things. It's actually very relevant to the crude life. It's very relevant to the oil and gas world. So Josh Swanson, Vogel Law, Jody Smith, North Dakota Land Commissioner, Daniel Stenberg with the McKenzie County Job Development Authority, and Tiffany Steiner, who's coming up right now here on the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Provolone is our entitled intern who's manning the production elements of this program and then right now tiffany steiner with api dickinson talking about the 23rd annual gumbo cook-off so far we have about half new companies half old companies so that's exciting to see people willing and excited to join us this year and what is the do you guys have a grand prize i mean is there is there a tro a traveling trophy is it just you know is it a congeniality award and you get your social media post or um i know you mentioned that there's you know scholarships and, and that sort of thing but uh you know like the cook-off winner so to speak because i hey i've <laughs> this is embarrassing because i've been a judge before but i can't remember what what the winners what i voted for <laughs> they do get some pretty cool trophies and they're not traveling trophies because they like to have them at their office um and then we have appetizers during the day for the cooking team it's kind of a fun little hurrah between us um and then they get a gift basket as well with some fun goodies in it and the appetizer winner was uh, Gravity Oil Field Services last year, correct? Correct. Yep. 
And uh, again, the appetizers, they're for the cookers, and it's not for the public. Or is it? No. The appetizers is just between the co- um, companies cooking. Yes, It's just a fun way for them to get more involved. And it's kind of a neat way to see what they can come up with because everything has to be cooked on site. Well, so it, you really have to get creative on how you do it. Well, it's really it's a great way to network. I mean, it's a, you got people, you know what, going around with hors d'oeuvres trays and trying to get people to try different appetizers and et cetera. And it's, it, it gives it a nice... Not only a uh, great Gatsby feel, but, uh, you know, a festive feel as well. That's how I always looked at it, I guess. Um, yeah. So the 50-50 raffle, live music at 830. Um, event is now 21 and over. It is. It is. Moving it to the West River Ice Center, there was a little bit more to it. So it was easier for us to just do 21 and over. Okay, so, so that that, yeah. that is a little bit different um, than in the pre- previous years, correct? Correct, correct. In the past, it's been um, 21 and over after 8.30. But this year, with the new venue, it just made more sense to do it that way. Yeah, it's, so. yeah they, they make you choose. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of yeah, one of those things. Yes, correct. Okay, all right. Well, uh, if people want to contact you for more information or they want to sponsor or they want to... Are, you guys are looking for sponsors, I imagine, too, besides cookers, Always. aren't you? And are, Yeah, talk to me about uh, how companies can help you guys out on the sponsorship side or any, you know, um, gifts, baskets, or anything like that. So we always are looking for sponsorships, um, also gift baskets to give out. We do have a lot of door prizes for the public, so a lot of companies will donate some company hoodies, company, you know, cups and mugs and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, so we just try to do drop our door prizes all night long, just kind of a fun way for us to give back to the community as well. I mean, you, they're um, giving out more than last year's swag, aren't they? Yeah. So, <laughs> but, any, but in some any, cases, not so much. <laughs> well, and I know like gravity is a prime example. They give out, I think, four or five baskets, and it's awesome stuff. I mean, most people go for it. So um, it's kind of fun to see what people bring. And, and API does a lot of different swag items as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, no, I, I, nice... I joke because it's just anybody who goes to an oil conference, when they walk away, it's a different level of swag compared to any other conference. And so it's so funny because last year's items are better than what you get anywhere else for the most part. But, hey, that's that's just right. my my observation, I guess. But, uh, no, the gift baskets are, are pretty cool. Like I said, I've been there. I've been a part of this in the past. So it's a, it's a fun time. And... Uh, once again, let's go through the details, which is the 23rd annual, March 28th, the West River Rink in Dickinson, West River Ice Center in Dickinson, North Dakota. And any information we left out, anything you want people to know? If they are looking about more information on cooking or sponsoring or just attending, they can email apidickinson at gmail.com and we'll reach back out to them. And last year, just to make sure, uh, Man Trucking, first place, St. Alexa Health Dickinson, second place, and People's Choice, BJ Services, third, and then, of course, like I said, Gravity Oil Field Services. Look at that, St. Alexis. Now, people in Texas listening and people in Colorado listening, they might not know St. Alexis Health Dickinson. It's, the, it's, it's one of the local hospitals. Man, are, not only are they active, 
in oil and gas events, they win a lot. What they is do a very up good with job. that? What 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 is going on at St. Alexis that they're just not only competitive but darn good at it? They're just very good at what they do, and they always come in with good decorations. And yeah, they're in for the win. That is for sure. I think they've gotten the people's choice at the Bach and Barbecue one or, once or twice too. Um, anyway, sorry, I just uh, see their name pop up a lot, and that's it sticks out because, like I said, it's not like Gravity Services or even Man Trucking or anything like that. They just that's good. That's that's good news because the community's active like that, and that's to me says oil and gas. Really, it does. So, well, all right, let's uh, wrap her up here. And if people want to contact, you said uh, the API address. What was that again? Uh, API Dickinson at gmail.com. And that was Tiffany Steiner with the API Dickinson with their 23rd annual gumbo cookoff. For the full length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to The Crude Life We Can Review. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, Daniel Stenberg with the McKinsey County Job Development Authority. Daniel Stenberg with McKinsey County Economic Development. Thank you for joining the Crude Life here today. I wanted to start off with an update from Watford City. One of the things I always like to check on Watford City is what's going on with some of the activity because uh, as we've talked about, Daniel, with the past of Watford City going from you know, a couple thousand to almost 10,000. I don't know what the exact populations were, but 300% growth population. So there's always something changing there. And with the uh, being in the heart of the Bach, and there's just always some activity going on too. So give us an update uh, from Main Street there and the surrounding areas in Watford City. Yeah, sure. Thanks. appreciate the opportunity, Jason. Um, some of the things that we got going on is our county has approved um, $5 million to kind of help jumpstart the infrastructure um, for single family and ha- housing. Um, and so I, we're expecting to see a lot of building happening um, with, uh, we have a need for about a hundred homes or, and, and this should help, this funding should help um, make it affordable in order to get these houses built um, for the builder or give them enough incentive to want to come here. And so we've got some developers who are submitting plans and we're going to hopefully see a lot of single family housing getting built, but any more workers, any more building workers, um, if people are looking for work, Watford would probably be the place to come um, for this year. 
Um, hey, hold on. on here. Let me just reset that one. This is a, uh, is this a, a grant or is this, what do you mean by dollars? Explain that a little bit. Like who, who exactly would benefit from this in terms of economically, you know, in terms of a builder, is it basically? Well, so what we're doing is that for certain housing developments, the county is going to cover the cost of the infrastructure, but then the developer has to promise to um, build that out into housing a certain amount by the end of this year and then 100% of those units by the end of next year. Uh, and if they do that, they won't have to pay for the infrastructure costs and you know lump that into the lot. So it should be it, it should be reflected in the cost of the lot and the eventual cost of the house to the home buyer, but then it also provides some assurance to the developer that um, that those costs are going to be covered by the county. And so we, we had um, five we had applications come in, and um, we'll be awarding those within the next few weeks is the goal. And so then once that, they're going to need to be getting all the builders and everything lined up in order to make it happen. That's an interesting approach. I've never heard of that. Is is this a is this a creative way to just spurn some economic activity? Is this uh, uh, is this normal? I guess I'm just uh, you know curious because it's pretty cool. Yeah, no. With this is, I mean, as far as we know, this is something that we just kind of developed for our area. We kind of have very unique circumstances, and um, and one of the biggest challenges for growing our economy is the workforce and in order for people to move here we need more housing people don't just want to live in an apartment they want to bring their family and they want to they want to live in a house and so we would just want to make sure that we can get some more options out there so that we can continue to to grow and meet the needs of our um, workforce demands so this pretty much signals that you, Watford City, a lot of the energy companies that you guys are talking to, they're still looking at the Bakken as a long-term investment, you know, 20 years, that sort of thing that people are looking at. Um, There will be, you know, oil and gas activity, provided that, you know, oil prices stay above 30 bucks, really. Um, uh, It just seems to me like that's another vote of confidence that um, the energy industry is is, is, is doing well and looks to be doing well in a time when there's a lot of uncertainty out there? Is that a fair question? Right, yeah. I mean, One Oak was, they were just we were just celebrating their new um, Demix Lake gas plants, multiple plants that they're doing. Um, and that's like a $10 billion of investment that they've been doing, and they've got more, more planned um, to get that going just because there's just so much gas to get processed out here. And, um, and those are long-term jobs working for, for those facilities. But then also, yeah, I mean, we've got another school being built, and that will be finished this fall in, for, the, for elementary students. And so that, um, but it's, it's going to be pretty much full once, that ha- once we get that in, and that will be able to shuffle the students from what we call the intermediate school into a true elementary school, and then we'll have a, a true um, middle school as well. So we'll have two elementaries, one middle and one high school. Right now the high school is 7th through 12th, but now it will be 9th through 12th after, once this fall starts. We've been transitioning to Class A, and that's just brought about a lot more opportunities that um, 
that we haven't been able to realize before with a smaller student base, but our enrollments continue to grow for that. And so we're looking to meet all of our demands um, for housing for students as well. Were you involved with the uh, career fair that you guys had at the school? I know that uh, there's so much done with that Rough Rider Center now, and that's an interesting uh, osmosis approach and i don't know if it was done intentional or not but just the rough rider center ends up being such a um uh, uh i guess commonplace for a lot of different events and then of course with the school you have the theater over there and the auditorium and i i don't know where that uh career fair was or that safety fair in february last month was but uh how did that go? Uh, I, I know it was, you know, it was, again, it was another opportunity where it seemed like some industry got exposed to the kids. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no. So we did um, kind of an informational session about all the things that the school system throughout McKinsey County, Alexander and, and McKinsey County Public School District won, and talking about what they've, what they've already been doing with career and tech ed. Alexander is sending students to the world competitions in robotics in Detroit, Michigan, in a few, in a couple of months. Um, and then, like, our, the CTE programs are career and technical education. There's a lot of opportunities for agriculture, vocational agriculture, you know, learning some trades like welding, things like that. But we're also looking towards what can be in the future as well. A lot, I mean, it seems to be a hot topic throughout the state, the idea of career academies. And we're just kind of exploring, you know, what, what could that look like for our community? We wouldn't want it to just be for high school students. We'd also want to be able to provide some, they call incumbent worker training, where, you know, somebody's in the, been in the workforce for a while, but wants to get promoted and they need to go take some certifications or something. So, you know, can we provide that here? We've been working str strongly clo and closely with the University of Mary and Wilson State College and Train ND, and we want to continue continue those relationships to just make sure that we can provide as much opportunities here in our community so that people don't have to travel for their education. I saw something coming up in April that had to do with uh, behavioral health, and I know that's a, a topic in you know, the energy industry that people take very seriously. So whenever there's an event along those lines, it's good to get the word out there. Uh, are you guys involved with that? Do you know anything about, I have absolutely no idea if, if you're even qualified to speak on that, but I know that you got your finger on a lot of pulses in Watford City. And this is something, like I said, the energy industry, they, they do like to know about anything that has to do with uh, behavioral health, whether it's from a certification standpoint or a, sending your employees to do whatever the, the, the deal is type of a thing. Uh, and, and do I have the right city here? Correct, yes. Uh, it's going to be April 28th through the 30th. And Vision West, North Dakota, is, is the entity that's really putting it all together. But it will be at our Rough Rider Center, like I said, April 28th through the 30th. It's an opportunity for professionals in the behavioral health fields to kind of come talk together you know, talk about the field in general, but then what are the specific implications for Western North Dakota? What are our specific challenges and what, what can we be doing to better our situations with behavioral health? And um, 
Yeah, and so that's that's what it's going to be on April 28th through the 30th. And that was Daniel Stenberg with the McKinsey County Job Development Authority. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is The Crude Life We Can Review. And I was two years old when John Lennon died. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, the Davis Refinery. It seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you, there's a world changer down the street and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, Jody Smith, the North Dakota Land Commissioner. Jody Smith, I'm the Land Commissioner for the Board of University and School Lands. Excellent. Thank you for joining us here today and revisiting this story here on the, looks like the natural gas royalties from some oil and gas companies. And I, I believe this is on, on public land. Is that correct? Uh, well, we call it state land. So it was a land that was granted to the Board of University and School Lands upon statehood to help pay for education throughout the entire state. Okay, thank you. That's why I asked for the clarification. See, my yeah. simple mind, I just categorize things and, and make <laughs> it nice land and easy. It's a little different than state land, um, but in North Dakota, our state land is open to the public. So sometimes that, that term is used interchangeably. Okay. Now, let's get to this here, because you were on just a few weeks ago, and I remember my, my last question to you was, uh, what's next? Is, is there anything next? And, and I think, if I'm paraphrasing, but it was done, and uh, the, the dates were set, and in, in your opinion, the kind of the wheels were in motion. Well, I've seen some more headlines in the news, and, and, and I, I don't know, has it changed at all? Are we still where we were a few weeks ago? Just kind of give me a new update, if there is a new update. Um, I think, you know, the only update to really provide is a couple weeks ago, the governor requested that the board reconsider the letter and the flow chart and how everything was communicated to the industry. And so that came to the board last 
Thursday, it was an extremely full board meeting, if you can imagine, and the board wasn't willing to reconsider anything, but they were willing to add some clarification. So um, there had been, you know, some misunderstandings with the industry and the expectations of the board, and so in that boardroom, we were able to clarify a few of those factors. Um, one of them is the 90-day period. Um, we do want as many companies to come into compliance with the state within 90 days. Uh, if they are having issues just because of the look-back period or other constraints within their system, they're able to issue a, a request to me, and then I'll review that and determine if I can grant them an extension within that 90 days or if they'll automatically just go into the second bucket at that point, which um, increases both the interest and penalties. What prompted the changes, if I may ask? I mean, the governor stepping in, that's, um, you know, that's got to be a pretty serious, pretty act to happen. So outside of, you know, oil and gas companies being a big part of where the uh, state of North Dakota gets its tax revenue, I believe it's somewhere like 55%. And uh, just kind of talk to me about what, what changed, what prompted the governor to do that? Do you know? You know, I, Jason, I don't actually know. Um, that was a decision kind of made by the governor, and a formal request was placed to me to put it on the agenda, and so I, I did such. So um, we did receive letters from the oil and gas industry um, asking the board to reconsider the decision that they had made. I can say I probably received an equal number of letters um, from citizens of the state of North Dakota telling the board to kind of stay strong and that they made the right decision and, you know, per the terms of our contract, you know, these, these oil and gas operators kind of owe the state and the, and the schools and the kids this, these funds. So um, it, it was kind of coming from both sides pretty, pretty heavy there for a couple of weeks. And so I'm not quite sure of all the reasonings behind the governor wanting to reconsider it. Um, the other four board members just were not interested in reconsidering it, but they were willing to sit and have an open discussion about some clarifying factors of the letter and the flowchart. Who's on the board? Uh, so I have the governor, the state attorney general, the state uh, secretary, the state treasurer, and the state superintendent. And I've been told, um, although I've not gone back and verified this, that this is the only board in the state where you cannot appoint someone in your position. So, for example, the governor cannot send the lieutenant governor in his position to vote on his behalf. And so um, we meet once a month. We meet the fourth Thursday of every month. I apologize, the last Thursday of every month. Um, at 9 a.m., and we only move that if we can't reach a quorum, and then a lot of times I'll have to bump it the week before, right around Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff. So we do tend to meet every every month, and on occasion we'll have special meetings in between. So the, the governor was a part of these meetings, and then a month later he asked to have it changed? Is that right? Correct. Or, okay, Correct. I, I'm, I'm, and here's the thing. This is where it gets dicey for me because I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble. I'm just trying to follow along here, and... That's that. That's what I thought I heard was okay. So, b people, part of the meeting have opportunity because the next question is closed door meeting. Now I I don't know yeah. what that means. I know I asked you about it before. Um, you, you gave me an answer, and then I saw it come up in a lot of headlines, that sort of thing. Right. Um, is that normal? Is you know I mean you know you mentioned who is a part of these meetings and these people are involved in other meetings and so I guess I'm just trying to figure out why the closed door meeting was um, highlighted, if I may ask. 
You know, I think that from the industry's perspective, they wanted to understand how the board came to the conclusion that they did with the flow chart and the time frame and such. And I can I can understand that. I mean, I tried to have as many conversations with the Petroleum Council as I was allowed to. I'm confined once a conversation occurs within the executive session unless the board directs me to take that information outside of executive session. Um, we have those executive sessions almost every board meeting. Um, they typically are surrounding litigation. So um, a lot of times, we'll, you know, this is all surrounding a case with the new field exploration that's now went to Insulta and Canna and now is Oventive. Um, when we talk about that, we do go into executive session. Um, and then the other kind of catch that I'm careful of in these audits where we're discovering that operators are out of compliance, when an operator is out of compliance and we're doing an active audit, uh, all those records are actually not subject to an open records request until such time that the audit is complete. So in order for the board to have these full, broad sweeping conversations and take kind of every scenario into consideration, um, it's a lot easier for me to do that in executive session. The board has requested that we have a lot of these conversations in open session going forward. So I'm actually going to have to give every operator in the state of North Dakota now a unique number that only I'll be able to and my staff will be able to identify in the boardroom so that we can say, for example, operator seven instead of actually naming the operator. Um, so just makes me make sure I'm not, I don't get tongue-tied and accidentally slip the name of an operator in the boardroom, but I, I think it can be done. It just adds a little bit level of complexity there. I don't know if this has been mentioned or not, but, you know, when, when the operator sent letters asking for um, changes or, you know, to, just a reconsideration and that sort of thing. What what is it they're asking for? I guess is it is it for more time? Is it for a different rate? Uh, I guess I've I've never really been clear what they're asking for. I don't think that there was a sincere consensus on what they were asking for. I mean, any of the operators that were here probably prior to about two thousand six or two thousand um, were asking us to reconsider the ninety days. Um, because they are looking back um, from to the first date of production, and that could be 40 years. When, if they had called us and had a conversation with us, um, they already knew, one, we're willing to issue um, a continuation, and I can give them an extension to remain in that first bucket. Two, for example, we have a significant operator in the state. They actually had contacted us. We talked to them. There was one unit. So there's basically one well out there that is subject to our audit pre-2006. So while it sounds overwhelming and daunting, it, it really isn't that much. Um, a lot of these more significant operators that go back, you know, 40 years, um, they just don't have that many wells that we were auditing that have to comply with the terms of the lease that were subject to the Newfield case. So um, that's one of the things. Um, I think some of them wanted us to start uh, to not go retroactive. And so we did receive some requests from some of the operators to say, hey, why don't you just start collecting basically from here going forward or, you know, May of 2017 has been brought up a couple of times going forward and not collect any of the royalties from 2006 to 2017. Um, by doing that, we, we would be leaving a significant amount of money on the table because I think everybody in North Dakota is fairly aware, like our huge boom started occurring around 2006 and really ramped up in those years. And so that's where a lot of those royalties are sitting. And so I don't believe that the board can do that and still adhere to their fiduciary responsibilities. 
multiple conversations that were had. Um, I mean, this decision came down from the Supreme Court in July. I spoke at a Petroleum Council conference in August, um, and at that time I didn't have a specific direction that the board would be going, but I did note to them that we would be issuing a letter that would be providing them with a direction. Um, those operators know when they're out of compliance. Several of them approached me while I was at that conference and, you know, asked what we would be doing, and I told them, you know, we're still kind of working through everything to decide what we would be doing and how we would be moving forward. The the issue started showing up in our agenda in November, um, and so we had, I think, six board meetings about it, and it was always on the agenda. There were industry leaders in the room at every single one of those. They may have had left the room during executive sessions. And that was Jody Smith, the North Dakota Land Commissioner. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is The Crude Life We Can Review. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Make Energy Great Again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make Energy Great Again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make Energy Great Again. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to The Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we talk with Josh Swanson with Vogel Law. Josh Swanson, Vogel Law Firm. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. And I love checking in with Josh Swanson from Vogel Law because, you know, Law & Order, big show on television. CSI, you know, law shows are always number one on television and streaming. So they got to be huge on the radio and podcasting. Ain't that right, Josh Swanson? Absolutely. You know, there's no no uh, coincidence there. Law & Order, one of the longest-running TV shows in history. I think it was up to 400-plus episodes. And the, the true crime podcast and the See? crime stuff <laughs> the news. So pe- people, people love the Law & Order, Jason, and that's what I'm here to provide, a little bit of Law & Order. So now that we've made this interview bigger than 10 Super Bowls, we should probably get right into it here. So uh, let's start off with an update on the... Uh, famous Lake Sakakawea Wilkinson case out in uh, western North Dakota. Start off by, you know, just a quick elevator pitch style summary of the case and then where we're at today. The- 
state of North Dakota continues to claim that it owns all the minerals under the lake by virtue of the United States acquiring that property for Garrison Dam and the Lake Sakakawea Reservoir. As you and your listeners know, the legislature passed Senate Bill 2134 a couple sessions ago, which which created a new set of statutes in our century code, which led to the Industrial Commission issuing an order saying that the state's interests are limited to the historic river as it existed prior to the dam, which is what everybody agrees with as far as mineral owners and operators. But for whatever reason, the, the state here, in its case, between the state engineer and land board, will not release its claim to the Wilkinson's minerals, despite the fact that Wilkinson's minerals are indisputably above the ordinary high water mark as determined by the Industrial Commission. So the final set of briefs, we just filed our brief with the North Dakota Supreme Court responding to the state's appeal. As you know, you know, visiting last fall, the district court granted summary judgment in the mineral owners, my client's favor. The state appealed that. We're before the Supreme Court now. We filed our uh, response brief to the state's appeal last week, and the Supreme Court has set the case for an argument in April. We're just waiting on a, a specific date for argument, but it will be argued in the April term. Argued in the April term. Okay. And um, you've won the last couple, haven't you? This is like an appeal? This is an appeal, and we've won. The, the frustrating thing in the, the North Dakota Petroleum Council filed an amicus brief in our case by and large taking our position in the case and agreeing with us and and we certainly appreciate them doing that you know you have a case where mineral owners and operators are on the same page and united against the state's keystone cops approach and attempt to claim minerals they have no interest in and it's a, a case where we won the last appeal a couple of years ago We've won the last, well, every decision since then at the district court. The legislature has passed the statute. The governor signed it. So you've had in the last, you know, three, four years here, everybody and their mother-in-law coming out telling the state engineer and land board they don't have a claim. But for whatever reason, they persist in saying that they own these minerals. So now the, the silver lining, I suppose, is, we're at the light at the end of the tunnel back in front of the Supreme Court for a second time, and we're hopeful and optimistic that the Supreme Court will side with our position and, and finally and definitively say that the state has no interest in these private minerals. With the oil prices the way they are, um, do you foresee this being an issue? What I mean by that is, listen, Josh, 55% of the state's budget is tied to the oil uh, extraction and production tax in North Dakota. So, you know, as well as I do, they're going to be looking for ways to find money. And this might be one of those ways. Is that, is that out of line for me to say at this juncture? The, the interesting thing about that, you know, the, the state itself, uh, what effectively the state wants to do, the land board wants to sue the industrial commission on this. So we'd have a lawsuit captioned state versus state. So you have the, the left hand of state government not doing what the right hand's doing. And there are some folks, and that's how I think, Jason, this whole thing started back in 2010. Someone with the land border and the attorney general's office got this bright idea that they could just take private property and make a bunch of money off it. And that's 
put all these memos from the land board back from the fall and summer of 2010 indicate. So I, I think, you know, that old saying, follow the money, I think there's certainly a motivating factor with some individuals that think this is a revenue source for the state. The, the other end of it, though, as the, the Petroleum Council has noted in its brief, and, and mineral owners are paying attention to it, operating and developing these minerals has a significant cost. And there's, you know, when you throw in uncertainty and, and actions that the state is doing, all of a sudden that, that's a, a complicating factor with regards to developing these minerals if, if operators are not knowing who to pay. And the operators themselves, as far as the Petroleum Council, siding with the private mineral owners here, I mean, they, they're, you know, my take on it is they're agreeing with our position, but at the same time, they're being put into a corner a little bit because they don't want to go pay private mineral owners like my clients then have the state clawing back at them trying to get money and with with any sort of business when you have that uncertainty when you're looking at the, you know down economic times you know everything between the coronavirus and what the oil markets are doing it's not exactly a ripe environment to be investing a lot of money in developing these wells and when you have government getting in the way that doesn't help things at all and that's that's one of the more frustrating parts about this is that it's a tough time for a lot of folks in the oil and gas industry and mineral owners that the one thing that mineral owners and operators can agree on they want that price to be good and they want that oil to be developed and when the state gets in the way of that it isn't good for anybody to listen to the full-length interview with josh swanson with vogel law or to check out other exclusive interviews visit the that's the crudelife.com that's going to do it for today's program i'd like to thank josh swanson with vogel law Jody Smith, North Dakota Land Commissioner, Daniel Stenberg with the McKinsey County Job Development Authority, and Tiffany Steiner with the API Dickinson about their 23rd annual API Gumbo Cook-Off. Thank you all for coming on today's program and being a part of The Crude Life and living The Crude Life and being part of The Crude Life Conversation. I forget we're trying to mold some marketing phrases and terms here at The Crude Life. A little behind-the-scenes activity there for you. Provolone and I are working on here, so... Thank you, folks, for choosing the Crude Life Week in Review as part of your weekly content. Appreciate it very much. And if you'd like to check out full-length interviews, be part of our social media network, or maybe just surf around in some interviews and news, check out thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. also like to remind you, folks, about our Crude Life podcast. Every Monday through Thursday, you can always find it at thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies. Asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. 
Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 